Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus all right all right all right welcome to out of the blue from amazing brew part of the sb nation podcast network a podcast that can rattle the treads off of a German Panzer take if played at the appropriate volume. I'm Jared Stormer of Mazenbrew.com. With me, as always, Andy Bailey, who no one would call an aged man of war, built with a bluff bow and sturdy lines. No, no. This here is a man in his prime. How are you, sir? Got to see you this weekend. Got to witness a great Michigan victory. Nice to see you again and talk with you again on this uh, this lovely Wednesday. Man, it was a great weekend. I'm still recovering from it. We did the Michigan Lions back-to-back. We got to hang out with a bunch of great people. Jim, Brandon, just uh, Jim's dad, who shot a 79 on the golf course last weekend. (laughs) And, you know, it was a good time. Like, it was really fun to get some FaceTime, hang out, enjoy a tailgate, and enjoy a Michigan victory. It was a lot of fun, man. The weather was great. The people was great. Great atmosphere up there at the big house for that one. The blue out didn't really work, but outside of that, I don't have a lot of notes. It was a great night to be in there. The product was great and just, God, gotta love Ann Arbor. And there is, you know, kind of this one cloud hanging over this, this weekend that had nothing to do with, you know, our lovely weekend and the beers we consumed and the revelries that were shared. But there is the incident in the tunnel that is now anyone can talk about. It is by far the biggest story coming out of this weekend. We have decided that we're going to approach this uh, basically like uh, an NBA player, you know, enveloped in a scandal. We're going to give prepared statements and we won't be taking any questions because we don't really want to be talking about this. This is not in any way what we want to be talking about. 
we should be celebrating a thorough and complete football victory and not legal proceedings and players being concussed due to an assault. Yeah, and this is four days past, so everything that's going to be said of substance has already been said, or things that haven't been said without any substance. They've still been out there and in the ether, so you and I want to get through this as quick as we can and get on to what we know best, and that's ball. So my thoughts on the incident are this. It just should not happen at this juncture, and the impetus of behavior should always be running a program where your players know the difference between jawing, pushing and shoving, and an all-out assault. The impetus is not on the University of Michigan to correct some new defect, and I'm doing air quotes there, uh, on the part of the stadium that's been unproblematic for 95 years. So just some of the responses to this and the victim blaming, there's very, very big like, oh, you shouldn't have worn that outfit energy and the way that people are trying to victim blame those two Michigan players, Jade McBurrows and Jamon Green, for being in the tunnel where they were. It's, it's rather disgusting when the video evidence clearly points that, uh, you know, this was an assault on the Michigan players by the Michigan State players. Yeah, and I'll go into mine. Um, Firstly, I hate when someone does something wrong and people try to blame any and everything besides the person at fault. Um, If you insult someone at the bar, it does not give you the right to hit them with a bottle or vice versa. There is very rarely a license for violence in modern society, especially when words are the only causation. One place where controlled violence is acceptable is on a football field, but a few people couldn't get the job done when they had the chance, so they channeled their frustration into cowardice aggression. Secondly, to echo your thoughts, this incident wasn't caused by a tunnel. Michigan Stadium was built in 1927, and no one has ever been assaulted before. Could Mel Tucker have done more to prevent this? Who's to know, but these players should be expected to govern themselves without a parent or coach present in a manner that does not include assault. That said, shout out to a few certain Spartans that do deserve praise in Xavier Henderson, Derek Harmon, and Kendall Brooks for being adults and helping defuse the situation and preventing further harm or escalation. This attack is more of a reflection, I'd like to believe, of a few troubled individuals who should never play at Michigan State again because they are losers on the field and pathetic off of it. Mel Tucker took the appropriate first steps with indefinite suspensions of four players and then four more. How he handles this through the finish line with appropriate accountability and discipline for all those involved, even on the fringes, will set the tone for this program and this rivalry in the future. I love it. That actually was a prepared statement and brilliantly performed, sir. I totally agree with so many of your points there. And now the both the product on the field at Michigan State as well as the culture under a microscope. That's a very difficult situation to now create a culture. You know, they thought we thought they maybe were building a culture, but it was very transfer heavy. And now this is definitely going to set them back. I don't care because they set us back. You know, this is all what the story is about this week. And you, I Googled the uh, Michigan versus Michigan State to get the box score. And all I got was tunnel incident, tunnel incident. It's ridiculous. The, the whole point about having to make changes to the tunnel coming from Franklin and Tucker, who my friend Amanda claims are in cahoots somehow, wouldn't surprise me. Look, that's absolutely asinine. Don't make it at night, maybe. Don't make the game at night. Maybe put up a rope. Throw one or two of the 900 police officers there in the tunnel. And, you know, don't make this a neutral site game. Don't change the tunnel. Small little things can be done to correct this. There's freaking snipers all over the place on the building. Throw, throw a police officer in there. No one's using their helmet as a weapon. So to close this out, the actual news of it is... The uh, school announced Michigan State did on Tuesday that uh, running back Malcolm Jones, defensive back Justin White, and Jacoby Widman 
as well as edge Brandon Wright, also been suspended. That goes on to linebacker Tank Brown, cornerback Kerry Crump, safety Angelo Gross, and defensive end Zion Young. So that's now a bunch of players almost exclusively on the defense outside of the running back who will not be available for Illinois. But it just feels like they didn't lose anything. Their season's already a joke. I mean, they're fighting for the Belco Tire Bowl, if that. It's almost like when you bring in the 11th man on an NBA roster to just go out there and club Steph Curry's knee. Like, they had nothing to lose. We had everything to lose. We don't know the status of Jamon Green other than that this thing's going to court. It's ugly. We'll report on it here and there in quick hits just to keep you updated. But I really, after this, unless you have anything else to say, don't want to talk about this anymore. No, I don't. And I just want to transition with Harbaugh's quote from this week that uh, woke up at 4 a.m. thinking we're going to be victors in this situation. We're not going to let it detract. And on to Rutgers. On to Rutgers, man. And let's let's do that. But let's actually do some quick hits here. Get into that. We won't take too much time as we're uh, we're already bouncing around a little bit. But Michigan basketball has an exhibition versus Ferris State on Friday. Opens the season on Monday against Purdue Fort Wayne. We've been saying now for a couple weeks we're going to start getting into the basketball content. It is definitely that time. Um, I was asked this weekend up at the game, like, give me your elevator pitch for the Michigan basketball team. I will do so here, and I'm one of the higher guys that come Michigan on this basketball team and it starts obviously with having Big Ten center of the year I mean uh, Big Ten player of the year candidate Hunter Dickinson back for his junior season where we expect him to be a 20 and 10 monster at the point guard position we're as good as we've been there uh, under Juwan Howard I would say probably Jalen Lewens, the best point guard we've had gives you a little bit of size shooting playmaking and then it's the wing depth the wing depth for me is what you need to watch I don't know who's going to be going out there at two three and four it doesn't matter. We are loaded. And the three-point shooting is going to be dramatically better than last year. And if Yusuf Kayat's the guy I think he is, this is going to be a fun Michigan basketball season. It's going to be fun either way. Like, I don't know how far they're going to go, but it's just a weird, kooky team with a lot of length, a lot of wings. And if that's your style of play, like more that NBA style, some small ball lineups that you can throw out there, but still having like a traditional center that you can throw in and mix and match, going to be a lot a lot of fun so i am i'm amped up i don't know how how you're feeling no man that was excellent uh i think one of the biggest things will just be the chemistry because this team has all the pieces you want and that was a great point at the close there about how it's built like an nba team you can see that with the wing depths the big guy in the middle the veteran point guard but from all indications outside in the offseason was this team is really bonding. They spent a lot of time just hanging out and getting to know each other and taking advantage of just opportunities to grow off the court, to bring it on the court. So I, no, I'm, ex I'm super excited. You have the exhibition first and the season opens up on Monday and we're going to start having some questions answered. And I think they're going to come sooner than later because if you remember last year the team opened up, you could see what was going to work and what wasn't going to work and how those were going to be tracked throughout the season. So what is the biggest question for this basketball team? Is it like, do we have a, a true two guard that can, you know, uh, you know, score for us efficiently? Is it, uh, you know, that we have good three point shooting, but that's only on paper. What would you say is the biggest question? It's certainly not Hunter Dickinson. I think it's the shooting. So that way we can let Hunter Dickinson be himself because last year he had to fight through double teams and everything else and is still the leading returning scorer in the big 10 this year. So if you can open up the court for him and give him that NBA style spacing, I think he's going to eat. And then with his ability to pass everything, the offense is going to orchestrate through him. 
We also saw him step back out to the three-point line a little bit. Let's see what he's done with that, and that could just be another element to this offense. Uh, speaking Michigan basketball, top 100 guard George Washington the third joins Papa Conte in the 2024 class, the 6'2", two-guard, ninth best at his position. This kid is a lights-out shooter. You're starting to see the bones of life after Hunter Dickinson and, and Terry Two Sticks, and it's going to be Doug McDaniel, George Washington the third, and Papa Conte, and we've got an all-name team brewing baby i'm i'm loving what i'm seeing you're gonna give me george washington and papa conte in this class are you kidding this is awesome just all the nicknames all the cherry tree jokes i mean anything you want to go to in the you know the 1780s 1770 style humor we're gonna dig it up for this kid Sounds like names that are from a cartoon about a boy and his dog who travel back in time. And I'm absolutely here for it. It's completely ludicrous. And they're going to be a good, good team and going to be a good team this year, man. Can't wait for it. Uh, you let me cook there on basketball. Uh, update us on hockey, if you would, please, sir. Oh, man. As you know, I was grinding hockey all weekend. Just watching it while we were in a hot tub and everybody else is enjoying the evening. I'm just over there screaming about Adam Fantilli goals. Um, over the weekend, Michigan swept Western Michigan in a home and home. Now up to number one in the country. And they're getting ready for a big road showdown this coming weekend against Penn State, who is one of the lone undefeated teams at 8-0. They have one of the best offenses in the nation. They have a hot goaltender. So it's going to be a big test for Michigan with this kind of like weekend. You really hope they can just steal one here because it's going to be very difficult on the road. Um, Adam Fantilli continues to be the best player in college hockey this season. Luke Hughes finally got going as well. I think he had four points over the weekend. So that's a welcome sign. And again, Michigan is doing all of this without talented freshman Frankie Nazar, who's been out uh, with a lower body injury, expected to come back in February. So this team still has one of their best pieces just on ice in the reserve. But I mean, the ceiling's the roof with this team, man. I'm super excited for this weekend. And if you haven't caught a game yet, Friday's game is actually on the Big Ten Network. So most cable providers have it, so you should be able to watch. I will be tuning in for that one, absolutely, if I'm able to. Yeah, I mean, if you're able to tune in, I mean, no matter where we're at, this guy is streaming some type of content. You are basically the Kobe Bryant, the David Fincher of content, sir. Like everybody else is like, you know, watching NBA in the hot tub, having a conversation. And this man's over there just locked in on hockey and still like being a part of a conversation. That was what's very impressive. Multitasking was on point. Yeah, I try to balance it, you know, because like you look up at me and I'm yelling at like Michigan field hockey scores on my phone. But then, of course, I'm turning back like, well, you know, Tyrion is actually the catalyst in season two for a lot of things, despite being the hand of the king. And then I just go right back into our Game of Thrones discussion. That's why you number one. That's why you number one. Uh, the Michigan football schedule has been released for next year. Uh, the out of conference doesn't get a whole lot better with East Carolina, UNLV and Bowling Green. Um, and then it's Rutgers at Nebraska at Minnesota, which is an interesting one. Indiana at Michigan State before the bye week this time. Coming off the bye week, it'll be Purdue at Michigan, and then it'll be at Penn State late in the year. Yikes, at Maryland, and then Ohio State at home. Once again, though, this is now three years in a row where the schedule just looks more manageable than it had in years past. Maybe that's because we're a lot better team than we were in years past. But this doesn't look too bad outside of the at Nebraska at Minnesota, which could get tricky. Yeah, the at Minnesota back to back will be a little nuts there. It'll be the first time at Minnesota with fans since 2015 in the goal line stand. 
Uh, the three-game stretch to close is exactly the same as last year, so the team managed that pretty well. Purdue comes to the big house for the first time since 2011. And, you know, the more I look at this, I just, I just see all Ws. That's all I'm looking at. Yeah, we've got some rose or maize-colored goggles on at this point. I look at that, and I'm like, oh, all right, 12-0 and 0 should be uh, should be the standard here. Uh, which, <laughs> game, which game stands out as the game that we need to be at? Is this one a pretty obvious question I don't need to say out loud? Uh, I think it's pretty obvious, but again, you know, going to be a season ticket holder next season, so all of them look like games we should be at. That's what I'm screaming. Purdue, Ohio State sounds like a nice twofer to start, but uh, we got a ways. We got a ways off. I still might go to Illinois this season, so we still got a season ahead of us. Uh, that's it for quick hits, sir. Let's get into this thing, man. I've been itching to get into this. Paul Bunyan is back in Ann Arbor after a 29-7 game. That was probably one touchdown for a field goal swap away from qualifying as a blowout. Uh, spread was 22 and a half. It went up and down a little bit from there. So you might have gotten, if depending on when you got in on this. I didn't bet on this one just because rivalry games, they, they can get tricky. And this one did get tricky early on, but man, was the second half performance dominant, sir. Let's break this down. Uh, let's start on the offense. Uh, yeah, just some general thoughts, man. Uh, the Michigan State defense really showed up. This wasn't the same MSU defense we saw against Washington in the first half of the year. This unit changed in terms of schematics and effort entering the bye. Effort was expected to improve because this team always gets up for Michigan, but the schematics weren't. Like on defense, the Spartans had primarily been uh, a match quarters team, which is a really complex defense, but ran very little of those concepts in this game. They ran a lot of deep cover two and some cover three very little man-to-man, -man. and at times, it just seemed like they were throwing zones against the wall, just seeing if anything would stick. Like, they would run cover one, but some players were running cover two, so it was just chaos at times to look at, but that's why occasionally a Michigan player would burst open free. Um, essentially, MSU adjusted their entire coverage identity for this one. They took away the deep balls. They took away design quarterback runs with aggressive safety play, made flood concepts difficult. They took away everything Michigan wanted to do except what Michigan does best, and that's running the damn ball. The Wolverines ran for 276, 276 yards on the ground, the most against Michigan State since Mike Hart's sophomore year in 05, drained the life out of the game. And despite it being maybe the offensive line's worst game of the season, it still didn't matter. Well said, sir. Time of possession in this one. Michigan held onto the ball for 40 minutes, 33 seconds, compared to Michigan State's 19 minutes and 27 seconds. That was really apparent watching the game, too, that that was part of the game plan for Michigan coming into this, was that we're just not even going to give them chances to make this a game. We think we can run the ball, and they did, as you mentioned, Corum going 33 for a buck 77 and a touchdown. And that ability to lean on your offensive line and just what you said was the perfect way to put it. They could stop everything except what we do best. J.J. McCarthy in this one, 15 for 25 for 167, one touchdown. But the getaway sticks, those were key, especially in the first half to uh, two touchdowns where he was able to break free and get some crucial, crucial pickups. Um, but, you know, just kind of a workmanlike game. This felt to me very much like the exact same game plan from Iowa, where it's like, look, if we don't turn the ball over, we're going to win. Like, we're just better than you. We just can't beat ourselves here. And they didn't. And they stuck to what they knew how to do. And it was exactly as Vegas saw it would be. And that, you know, A, goes to show how good they are at Vegas. And B, just Michigan did 
exactly what they were supposed to do in this game. They didn't really make any mistakes outside of the CJ fumble, which this is a whole game. CJ and kind of the receivers in general outside of Bell would like back. But really, that was it. Other than that, this was a clean, clean game. And they did what they did best all day long to the tune of a 29 to 7 win. Like, it's hard to find too much wrong with that one. Yeah, Michigan punted one time, and it was when the game was already in hand. I mean, like, the way this team is running the ball is something we haven't seen in 30 years. In terms of rushing yards per game against conference opponents, just so nobody can throw the, well, you played Hawaii and UConn stats in my face, Michigan is averaging 254 rushing yards per game against conference opponents. Last year, it was only 186. That's the highest number since Tyrone Wheatley's team in 1992. Went a remarkable 9-0-3. Like, it may not be sexy, but no one has been able to stop it. Like, last year, Wisconsin could slow him down. Rutgers, who we'll get into, could slow it down. Um, Michigan State completely shut down the run game we had last year. But no one can do it this season. It's not Michigan's job to beat themselves. And uh, this game was really eerily similar to the Indiana game last season. The same final score, one week apart in the schedule, except a 2-10 and 10 Indiana team was harder to move the ball on and forced four punts instead of one late in the game. I love how you've been looking to a lot of the games last year for comparisons and similarities. That is, once again, a very good comp there. Uh, let's nitpick a little bit, though, because it wasn't a perfect offensive day, and definitely the red zone execution is the first thing that's going to stand out. You turn a couple of those field goals into touchdowns. This thing is over way, way earlier. We don't even have to sweat. You and I were pacing a little bit over there in the Michigan State section, surrounded by a little bit more uh, green than we would have liked. And it got a little nerve wracking there. And we could have put this thing away early, especially since coming in. The one thing Michigan State did do well on defense was their red zone defense and not getting any of those deeper shots, not getting in from 15 to 20 yards away on any deep shots really kept us from putting this thing away. So even just getting into the red zone consistently like that instead of, you know, finding ways to get those deep shots was kind of hindering this offense a little bit. And then once we got into the red zone and the field shrunk, they did a good job at taking some things away. And there's some things that we definitely could do better in the red zone as well. So that's my first nitpick. Yeah, absolutely, man. And listen, I'm honestly okay with the limited deep shots as long as the offense can continue to just bully people all the way down the field as long as that red zone execution can improve. Like, But we have to see more imagination in the red zone and just sharper execution from the players. Devin Gardner had a great point about using the entire 10 yards of the end zone and all the way the complete width of the field, just taking advantage of it a little more like – advanced deeper concepts i would love the team to throw some fades some tendency breakers to really put the defense in conflict uh, but last year this team faced similar issues and they didn't clean it up thoroughly until week 10 against penn state and then we saw the insane efficiency against ohio state two weeks after that so in the coming weeks against rutgers nebraska illinois i'd love to see michigan to show us a level of improvement just to feel confident before heading into columbus because you're not going to beat ohio state with field goals no, definitely not. And uh, I mean, thank God we had Jake Moody in this one. We needed him and we were able to get that. But uh, my next nitpick and really the only other one that I got is something that I kind of have been bringing up the last two weeks. And that's that the the wide receivers are struggling a little bit to get great separation. It'll happen at times. And then there's times JJ doesn't see him. But Roman Wilson, who was the presumed number one wide receiver on this, had one reception for negative three yards today. And this was a game that you and I were calling early on. Like, it feels like he's going to get back into the offense. 
well, he really got bottled up in this one on the flea flicker. He definitely got held and, and that should have been called. Uh, it was definitely PI or a hold. But other than that, like he's struggling to get separation. Cornelius Johnson had a really, really bad game. Let's just go ahead and move on from him. Uh, we haven't seen much from Angel Anthony. Darius Clemens is too young. And really, it's just Ronnie Bell who's been having a solid season. You know, Roman Wilson started out great, but it was against by far the weakest opponents that we've had. So I'm of the opinion that uh, maybe we overrated the wide receivers coming into this season a little bit. And that's not like a huge knock, but we thought they were maybe the second best unit on the team. That That's not the case so far. No, I don't think that's the case, but I do have to give them props for embracing the blue-collar mentality of just understanding the identity of the offense and not getting upset about it. Like, it's hard to recruit players that want to come in and block like this, but they were doing a great job of it. And I also want to put a little bit of the blame here on some play design. Like, I get it, like, teams are running deep cover, too, to take away the bombs. Like, it's fine if they're not there, but seams and deep intermediate shots should be there. Like, they should be able to get open. So, I believe it's, like, 50-50 with them getting separation, the play design, putting them in positions to succeed because we need to see more of it. They have struggled with press against Michigan State. They struggled getting pressed against Maryland early in the season. So, they have to improve. Otherwise, teams like Illinois could really cause them some issues who are pretty stout on the edges in the back end of their defense. Yeah, that is the one rushing defense that you look at on our schedule. We're like, ooh, they might be able to make things a little tricky for Corum and Edwards. So we'll see, but it is something to keep an eye on. Um, I'm not like knocking them too much because they have had overall a pretty solid year, but I think maybe we just overrated them. The second part of a point that I kind of brought up off air that I haven't quite formulated yet is we just don't have a Nico Collins big bodied type, like seeing Keon Cullen go up for those 50-50 balls. It's like, ooh, we don't quite have that like our guys Ronnie Bell who's six foot 200 pounds like and pretty physical for his size but not a Nico Collins Keon Coleman type so not having somebody that like well you know there's a safety down there but my guy's still got a chance we don't really have one of those so that's another thing that's maybe impacting these deep balls and why we're not taking as many shots as well so something to keep an eye on uh let's move over to the defense sir give me your general thoughts on the defense on a day where we held them to seven points and uh, my claim to the Sklar brothers ended up holding nearly true that they wouldn't cross the 50 in the second half dear god ex- executed about how we expected man uh, michigan shut down the run completely in this one and after Keon Coleman got going on that one drive, they really did a great job making the quick in-game adjustments and double-teaming him with Rod Moore. Uh, Mozzie Smith and Chris Jenkins, the entire interior defensive line, were just a brick wall all night, just eviscerating this offensive line with movement, twists, lining up in different techniques. They were just fantastic. And just to like put in perspective like how well – this defensive line is performing against a run last year. Again, conference opponents only. So no Hawaii, no Colorado state, Michigan allowed 124 rushing yards per game last year. This year, they've cut that number in half. They're only allowing 66 per game. That's insane. 66 rush yards per game. You're going to win almost any game that you do that. And especially when you're rushing for 254, just crazy, crazy outputs. And the difference between stopping the run and our running game right now is astronomical. And the reason that we're number five should be number four. We'll get into that in the second half. But I totally agree with you here. Let's start with the front (laughs) seven where they shut down the run, um, held them to 37 rushing yards. The two fourth and one stops in the first half. One of them definitely keeping points off the board. Mozzie Smith. 
Chris Jenkins there and Junior Colson were just those are becoming just three of your most reliable players there. Mozzie and, and Mike Morris combined on a sack on Peyton Thorne that I have to imagine is what it looks like when a child gets run over by a Buick. It was so brutal. I don't know how Thorne came back into that game. And I was honestly impressed. Like if Mozzie Smith hit me the way that he hit him, I would simply die. And that would, I'd be fine with that. That's a good way to go out. I'm going to, I'm going to say this now since the game's back. I actually kind of like Peyton Thorne. Like he's fine. Like I just, I don't have any like disdain for him. Like fine guy and very tough because he got up from that. Mozzie Smith is playing like an all American I already mentioned Chris Jenkins. You touched on Mike Morris. Uh, another one the line, Braden McGregor got back in. Mike Elston was on a podcast this week saying McGregor's had his two best weeks of practice since he's been at Michigan the last two weeks. So that's why we've been seeing him more. And he played like it, man. And for a, a player like McGregor, it's it's hard not to feel super excited for him finally shining on the field in a big moment. Yeah, we had him as one of our like last chance players, like last chance to make an impact. And then he disappeared after a couple bad performances. And he's kind of like the Karis Levert of the Michigan defensive line rotation. <laughs> and that like he'll just come in and get hot for you one random night. And be like, whoa, what was that? Braden McGregor, sack and a half. And then he'll disappear for a couple games. But let's uh, let's hope it, it turns into something more consistent, man, because I was impressed by what he saw. Uh, here's another takeaway that I had. And this is... Uh, just for Jersey watch, I'm just going to say that we are in the final week. It will be made. I have to have it by the Ohio State game. So that Jersey purchase will be made after the Rutgers game. And uh, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying Macari Page, 48 snaps in this one. RJ Moten, 19. I didn't hear anything about RJ Moten's health. I think Macari Page has passed him. I think he has passed him. And Macari Page played very well in this game. And uh, next to um, Rod Moore, who was the highest graded safety in stats, we don't matter. I think PFF gave him like three unicorns for his performance. But I mean, the back end play in this game after those two big plays given up to Keon Coleman in the first half, and they were just locked down. Makari Page is very physical, was in there on a big fourth and one stop, getting his shoulder in there. He and Moore in coverage were fantastic on the back end. Mikey, my boy, little Mikey Sainer still, is elite in the slot. Vance Bedford on a pod said he is the best nickel in the entire country with how he's playing this season. And uh, on the edges, I would just like to say, Will Johnson's getting there. Jamon Green, heal up. I'm not going to take any shots. And DJ Turner, my brother in Christ, it is good to see you back. Welcome back, DJ Turner. Like in the first half of that game, I'm pretty sure you and I said some off the wall things about DJ Turner because that was the guy you and I were both high on. And it's a secondary guy, my favorite. And I was like, DJ Turner, this is the year, man. And he just hadn't had that kind of year. And not to say his performance in the second half against Michigan State absolves him of some lesser performances in the past, but to see him play at that level in the second half was certainly reassuring. He was flying all over the field. His athleticism was really, really on display. Jamon Green um, got beat with a couple of the 50-50 balls, but then in the second half when they started bringing over Rod Moore and those safeties to help, that was pretty much shut down. So uh, the I was you know kind of glad to see the secondary get tested. That's going to be really good self-scouting, that they're going to be able to go back and be like, look at how these bigger receivers were able to get these 50-50 balls on you. Got to get your head around in coverage. But overall, the secondary played well. Rod Moore, as you said, outstanding in this one and the safety play continues to be strong on the back half of this man uh, it's it was a great great defensive performance and look I don't give men massages but if Jesse Minter wants a calf massage a deep tissue rub on the back I'll offer it that's fine I don't care I'm man enough to allow that 
<laughs> Michigan has now outscored their last three opponents 62-3 to in the second half. Yeah, I think he deserves a calf massage. <laughs> that's, that's calf massage worthy. Boy, put those getaway sticks up here. <laughs> take a load off. Uh, the nitpick on defense, though, this is something that it's really starting to upset me because it's been several years in a row. We just don't get the crazy turnovers. Like USC had like 15 turnovers through the first uh, five games or something like that. We have got to force more turnovers, got to force more turnovers. The 50, 50 balls don't bother me, but can't leave those turnovers on the field. Do you know how many times we've said almost picked off this year? It's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Two things. Two things there. Yeah, one, you're right. Like, this team has to force more turnovers. Michigan is actually slightly better than last year in terms of giveaways, but also slightly worse in takeaways. So the margin's better, but has to be able to create a little more havoc here. And, yeah, dude, get USC out of my face, though. They're one loss. I can't look down on a team with one loss from my perch up here of eight. No, I can't even see them. Look, I get it. I mean, give me the wins and the overall competence over the turnovers. I'm just saying it would be so nice one of these years to have one of these defenses that just forces a lot of turnovers. I'm a simple man. I like butterscotch and turnovers. (laughs) How good was that angle we had of the Rodmore interception, though? It was perfect, dude. As soon as he threw it, we're like, pick. Because I mean, just the way that the field opened up. Yeah, we had good seats for that, despite the fact that we're in the Michigan State section. But we also got to watch them file out. And uh, yeah, let's great segue because let's move over to special teams where they had trouble with the snap. Oh, my God. This was the moment of the day for me. I lost my voice. It's just now returned because I went nuts on the second trouble with the snap. You were there. You saw it. Dude, it was so funny because the first one, you and I stood up and screamed and no one else really did. But then it happened again and it really was like trouble with the snap and everyone was yelling. Our voices are still recovering from from that moment. But man, it was, God, it was so like relieving, like the stress from 2015, like just alleviated. And the fact that Sean McDonough and Todd Blackledge were on the call was just the icing on the cake. Oh, yeah, I love that we get the same guys on the call. Uh, The primordial scream that we let out was pretty much the exact same energy as LeBron James doing the Cleveland, this is for you. I mean, it was just everything being (laughs) washed washed out of our bodies and souls. We looked back at the the kids in the Michigan State section that had been pretty loud that whole time, and we're like, nah, 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 it's over now. You had some fun. That was was just cathartic, man. Best moment of the game for me. But uh, while we're also on special teams, though, we got to talk about big moody, big booty moody that you heard someone call him in the stands. I still like Jake the make, but five for five in this game. My goodness. Dude, career long 54. He's tied for most attempts in the nation with 21. Second and makes with 18. I only count him as having only one true miss because one was blocked. The other was from 60. The man is closing in on the all-time scoring record. He's back in the front of the Groza Award. Dude, our boy from Maryland, the kicker, is suddenly 10 of 14 on the year. He's just falling apart. Oh, he's going to give it to Moody. Let's go. I'm following this Groza Award, baby. Now now I'm locked in. I'm absolutely locked in. Yeah, because the uh, he's really close to the scoring leader now, like after that game, right? I mean, five for five. Didn't he need like 18 points? Isn't he like a field goal away? 16. Uh, he has he's 10 points away from the scoring record, I believe. We might get it this weekend. Dude, 
If, hey, if we have to wait, though, that means we're scoring more touchdowns, so I'd be okay to wait, but he is guaranteed to get it this season. No, we'll just score 10 touchdowns. We'll put 70 up on Rutgers. <laughs> I'm here for it. But special teams in this game was amazing, man. I mean, not that we did anything to force the trouble with the snap, but that still counts. And that, to me, it should be remembered as the trouble with the snap game. Something tells me it'll be that uh, other thing that we talked about in the first half of this pod. But this should be remembered as revenge for the snap game, I think. Absolutely. And like honestly, we did do a little bit of this because with uh, Jay Harbaugh, so their, snap, their long snapper is a little bit weak. So they moved around a lot and put a lot of pressure on him and the interior. Like if you watch the replay of the game, you'll see the guys moving back and forth. And that's all just to put pressure on this one wink link. And he cracked twice. So again, shout out to Jay Harbaugh, the best special teams coordinator in the country. I put out a poll, um, I think this was last week, just based on our conversation with the Sklars and then somebody else at Michigan. And I was wondering, like, who you would want to be your offensive coordinator. Say next year, uh, Sharon Moore, one more year with Sharon Moore, and then he goes and Matt Weiss goes. You want Mike Hart or would you want Jay Harbaugh? I mean, I think I'd pick it. Flip a coin for me. I really don't care. I'd take either one of them. Jay Harbaugh, every position group he's coached, he's done well. Special teams has been his magnum opus on the Michigan staff. But you give me him, you give me Mike Hart, I think we're in a good place. I agree, man. Just let's keep it together. Keep the band together. I'm here for it. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of our preseason assumptions on the offense, what we were right about, what we were wrong about. Take a look at the college football playoff and the landscape after that came out, and we are going to break down Rutgers. All that right after this. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Coming back in the second half here, we're going to look back on some of our predictions because uh, what sets us apart is that we're happy to say we were wrong, especially when it means that we were wrong and the team is better than we thought it's some, some things. Now, some of these things that we were wrong about means the team's a little worse off, but on offense, Really not the case. So we'll do offense this week, defense next week. Let's go ahead and start with one of the things that we were right about, sir. Go ahead and throw me if you've got anything, any one of your claims or our mutual claims from the offseason that really played out. Um, I got one for you. It is Olu is an upgrade to Andrew Vistardis. I'll start with the low-hanging fruit here because getting a Remington finalist from a year ago should be obvious, but of course there are questions of chemistry there. So you're always going to be like, well, maybe he can. He has the talent, but can he blend in with this group? And the answer is yes. A resounding yes, he can. He's going to win the Remington this year. I think that he is front runner for the Remington. I think he's got the inside track for All-American at center. He is definitely an upgrade athletically. He's the most physically and athletically imposing guy on that line. And really the guy that could have overtaken him, Zinter, who started as the best offensive lineman, probably according to the coaches on the team, has taken a bit of a step back. So Olu is the best offensive lineman on the team. We were definitely right about that. Um, all right. I'm going to do one that we were wrong about here. 
Uh, this one, low-hanging fruit, I already mentioned it, so we don't have to spend a ton of time on it, but we said receivers would be a top three unit on the team. We love the depth. We loved the breakout potential of Andrew Anthony and Darius Clemens. That has not happened. Roman Wilson, great, really, really hot start, has slowed down, and it's kind of become the Ronnie Bell and Cornelius Johnson show of late, which, uh, you know, good receivers, but not the ones that we think are the most explosive. So that's going to take this unit down a little bit. Yeah, they're in that C plus B minus range. And it's also kind of, um, you know, the curse of more like other position groups have risen up. And I'll say one thing we were right about is we did not have any drop off at the safety position, despite losing two starters there. We lost Dax Hill and Brad Hawkins, Rod Moore, who you and I were both all over about being a dog. We were very high on RJ Moten. We had no idea Makari Page was coming back into the fold. So the safety position has not lost a step from last year. We were right about that. Well, that's tremendous, but that's definitely on the defense, and we're doing the offense this week. But nonetheless, oh, damn it. <laughs> I was too excited. I mean, I'm happy to celebrate <laughs> our wins, but uh, you're getting ahead of yourself there, sir. Uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll bail you out there. How about depth at tight end? Something that we liked. That's kind of one of yours because you really liked Loveland and you liked Schoonmaker and Honingford a little bit more than I did. I liked Schoonmaker coming in, but Schoonmaker's been amazing, and it's clear that the depth is great. Loveland taking some freshman lumps. He'll get there, but I love our tight end depth, so I think we were right about that. Yeah, tight end room has been awesome. Like uh, Also, Max Bredesen like, emerging out of the fold for this group has been something we didn't even anticipate. Schoonie's been awesome. If Eric All was there, I still I think this would be the best tight end room. Like comprehensively in the country yeah. and uh, yeah man that is we were we nailed that one um staying on offense not going the defense andy uh we thought donovan edwards would be in heisman consideration by now and we were wrong because one he was a little banged up and two we had the wrong back yeah that was my call so you don't need to take the lumps for that one that was kind of my bold prediction your uh was the defensive saying we're still prediction which we can touch on last week so i'm happy to eat crow for that one i thought donovan edwards would be a little bit more involved as a receiving threat just because of that relationship with him and jj that might be next year's pick though i think i just got the back wrong like you said um all right uh give us something we were right about on offense uh, one thing we were right about, you mentioned the relationship with JJ, and it was the fact that McCarthy raises the overall ceiling for this team. A lot of people look at the Michigan State game as kind of like a step back performance, didn't do too much. I thought JJ was awesome in this game on rewatch. Like when plays broke down, he got one read, he got key first downs with his legs. He didn't make the mistakes, got like he scared us on the one with his reverse pivot. But as soon as he saw trouble, he didn't play hero ball. He just slung it 20 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, out of bounds, avoided it, learned to play another down. He's getting better every week. And this is his first like real high pressure moment with him. You remember last year at Michigan State, how much he struggled putting the ball on the ground late. This was a big hurdle for him to get over. So he raised the ceiling in this game. He raises the ceiling overall. And you and I have been calling that one since last year. Yeah, and this one wasn't too hard to claim. I think pretty much every fan who ever has clamored for a backup is like, well, the ceiling will be raised. So this one is kind of a lazy take, but we did at least back that up. And I like that you backed it up in a game where he didn't have crazy stats. But you know what I like? Nine for 16 on third down in this game. You know what I like? Zero turnovers against a rival at night in a weird environment. 
I like the fact that he does a lot of that game manager stuff that Shea Patterson does, but then he also breaks loose for 40 yards when they lose contain on him. So it is, even if it doesn't seem like it, like with his numbers, what was it? 167 yards passing and, you know, 35, 40 yards rushing, whatever it was, not crazy numbers, but efficient on schedule, kept us on schedule. And I think he's been awesome this year. And I think the ceiling has been raised. I mean, Eight no for a reason, man. But uh, all right, I'll give us some, something we were wrong about. <laughs> we'll stick with the quarterback. I thought, and I think you thought, both Cade Mack and J.J. McCarthy would see significant snaps no matter how it played out. Um, early in the season, it was seeming like Cade Mack was going to win this job, and then things changed dramatically once they rolled the balls out there and the game started. But we didn't know the Cade Mack injury was going to happen. We figured even if he did, he'd be getting in a lot in garbage time or they'd mix it up. So we just haven't seen any of Cade McNamara this year, and that is something that we were expecting. Yeah, we thought we'd see some, but it's been unfortunate he's been like, injured, but I guess like you know, glass half full. It cleared up any of the picture if they're going to have any chicanery of alternating starters or drives too much further into the season. This was just a decisive answer even after J.J. claimed it with his play. And just one more thing on J.J. raising the ceiling. Just remember that Cade McNamara had 44 passing yards against Washington. Okay, I'm just, just leaving that stat out there. <laughs> it was, it was Last a, it was a we, crisp 44. Great 44. <laughs> so, yeah, we went from defending that to 210 total yards and making plays with his leg. So, yeah, life's gotten better. Uh, last thing we were right about, and this was one some people – we're really questioning like around the program, especially in the national media, because you lost your starting center, lost your starting right tackle, and you're bringing in a transfer center. Like, how's the offensive line going to be? But you and I were pounding the table saying this offensive line will be better than last year's Joe Moore Award winning unit. And they are in spades. Like, even with a bad performance by their standards against Michigan State, you still ran for the most yards against them since 05. Now, that, that's just a testament to how good they are. I don't think they gave up any sacks against Michigan State either, did they? I don't, I don't think so. No. Oh, JJ had that one slick avoid where he ducked under. Woohoo! Smooth as peanut butter. Yeah, this was our best claim that we were right about. I think uh, the defense had some bolder claims. The offense has performed about as admirably as we thought. The receivers kind of being the one thing that we were very wrong about, but that's just not the identity of this team. And if you don't need to get into a shootout and you don't need to air it out and put the ball in danger, why on earth would you? So, yep, we were right about this one. Happy to take our victory lap here. The last thing that we were wrong about and, uh, you know, this plays into the offensive line being better. I guess we probably should have thought of that, but we were thinking health and durability. And that was that we would take a slight step back at running back after losing Hassan Haskins. Now, let me clarify this. This was very much a pro Haskins debate. We were like, I don't know that we have an every down back like Hassan Haskins was. Blake Corum has really, really shattered that doubt. <laughs> yeah, I will gladly eat crow on this. Nobody loved Hassan Haskins more than me. Like, I've been screaming about this guy since 2019 when you were Team Charbonnet. I was Team Haskins. We're both just having a great time here. And, yeah, now Blake Corum put on 10 pounds in the offseason. He looks like the freaking Terminator out there. Like, just the way he ran in this game, breaking tackles, doing so much on his own – it, there's a reason why he's in consideration for the Heisman at this point, because he's playing at that kind of level week in and week out. 
just dragging guys too down the field at five nine or whatever is whatever he is. He's already over a thousand yards. You laid out a scenario where two thousand yards is entirely possible this year. Uh, it's ridiculous. Like we're seeing Mike Hart levels of production. I love that you know he is the Mike Hart clone, as you once said, and it, it just seems like that's what we've got here. I don't think he'll end up having that kind of career because he's not going to stick around another year. He should go pro. He's he's just too good and. I mean, we have not taken a step back. We have taken a step forward and he should be in New York. I mean, he is on pace to be in New York. I'd be surprised if he's not at this point. So happy to eat crow, as you said. All right, sir, let's look around the league. The college football playoff rankings, the first version has come out. The top five are as follows. Tennessee at one at eight. No, Ohio State at eight. No, at two. Georgia also undefeated at three. Clemson at four. Michigan at five. You and I are not the type to sit here and clutch pearls and wring our hands over who should be where, but there is certainly a claim that Michigan should be above Clemson here, right? And I think a good claim. <laughs> yeah, man, these rankings are dumb. Like, you just look up and down. Like, the 13 team beat the 18 team this week by 48 points. Like, Syracuse just got housed at home by Notre Dame. They stay ranked. Like, there's all over the place there's inconsistencies, but I mean, with the college football playoff committee, it's very subjective. It's not just what the AP poll says. They're trying to go with the eye test. I think they need to get their eyes checked, but they're going with the eye test here. Um, you and I were talking offline about this. As long as Michigan wins their games and takes care of business, none of this matters because they'll end up as being a one or a two more than likely by winning the Big Ten. The nightmare scenario is in play, though. We've talked about it, about if Michigan loses in Columbus in a close one, Clemson or TCU wins out, and that's when the rankings could come into effect and kind of leave Michigan at that five or six range when the final polls are released. Exactly. I mean, obviously, just take care of your schedule, but 12-0 uh, and 0 is no easy task. And just saying, well, you know, just go undefeated then if that's what you want to do. Yeah, I get it. But that is like, how many times does that happen? And it would be the greatest Michigan team of all time to do that against such a loaded field and against this Ohio State team. So I, what I don't like about this is that the committee lays out their criteria and how they make these decisions, and they're not supposed to take past years into account. But if that's the case, how do you explain Alabama with one loss at six, you know, and TCU at seven? That doesn't really make sense. And then putting Clemson up there, despite the fact that they're out of conference is also garbage with Georgia Tech and Furman. And it also shows with Syracuse getting beat by Notre Dame and them not dropping them down. Syracuse was a bit of a fraudulent program, and that's that's not a real contender there. Like Syracuse is not going to not going to go out and beat anybody substantial. But they obviously need to back up their agenda so they keep Syracuse ranked because they want to keep Clemson ranked because of past performance. So it just shows through in, to me in these rankings that they want to keep Clemson and Bama there because of what they've seen in the past. And it's narrative shaping and it's dumb. And it does seem like Michigan will be on the outside of this looking in based on how they view our schedule up to this point. But you just got to win the games in front of you. But if you're looking at the nightmare scenario, that's what you've got to be looking at. Yeah, everything can be alleviated by it's like in terms of our concern, you know, if Clemson drops a game here in the ACC, TCU does. I, I just really wish the committee would come out and be like, we have Alabama over TCU because I think if they played on a neutral site field, Alabama would beat their ass. Like, I respect just don't, it more. don't give me the excuse. 
Exactly. Yeah. Don't give me the excuses of this is this record. Well, this schedule and this and just contradicting yourself because you're talking yourself into a corner. Just come out, be blunt with it. Why you think that way? Don't give us just some convoluted answer. But again, F it, we ball. We're going to win these games. F it, we ball has got to be the mentality here. Just win everything on your schedule. Keep playing your game. I get it. And uh, I mean, the scenario that we need to see because Tennessee and Georgia play each other, we don't really care who wins there. We just want it to be a decisive win and drop somebody like way back. I don't care. You know, Georgia 42 to nothing would probably serve our purposes best. And then you're going to have the uh, SEC championship. So ideally Alabama takes two losses there and just put Georgia in at one drop Tennessee out. And then that will free things up a little bit for us as well. So that as far as rooting interest. And then the other one is your Notre Dame over Clemson this weekend would be huge if they can pull that off and Notre Dame quietly turning things around. Yeah, five and three now, blew out Syracuse last weekend at Syracuse, uh, three-point dog at home, 7.30 at night. It's the Super Bowl in South Bend. Touchdown Jesus is already ready, so tune into that one. You know, flip back and forth between Michigan and Rutgers on the commercials. Do what you got to do, but uh, our rooting interests are all starting to align across the country as we know what we need to do. Absolutely. Uh, One game that I wanted to peek in on real quick was the game that we watched at the brewery while you were – also, you were watching the game while also consuming, I think, another game on your phone. The levels of content. Yes. Yeah, it's like inception for content with you, a content box within a content box. But the OSU-PSU game, <laughs> uh, Ohio State looked more than happy to give that game away. They were averaging 2.1 yards per carry through, through, through three quarters, excuse me, and they were losing with nine and a half minutes left in this game. And then, of course, Penn State fell apart. Ohio State turned it on. But... Penn State was really able to shut down the run and we could run all over Penn State. So I'm just looking at this transitive property doesn't exist, but we had our eyes closely on that game. And you and I were kind of just batting eyelashes at the screen like, oh, what's this here? This looks this looks doable. (laughs) When Ohio State has faced a unit that does one or two things right defensively, whether it be Iowa, whether that be Penn State or Notre Dame, like regardless of the final scores, you watch the struggle during these games and it's like, you can see it. You can see where it is. You see the cracks in the foundation. You see how Michigan can attack and you understand it's more attainable than ever because you did it last year. So there's a level of belief and confidence there. And oh my God, we're only a few weeks away. Dude. Yeah, we're already, I mean, we can't look ahead. We've got games that we've got to deal with, but it doesn't really matter. Us looking ahead isn't going to affect the outcome. So we're allowed to kind of peek over the shrubs a little bit and be like, Oh, I see you over there. And they have to be more worried about us than we are about them because of it's house money. After beating them last year, we're going to their house. And if we lose, we're going to the Rose bowl. That's awesome for us. We might still get into the playoff if we lose to them. It feels like house money. (laughs) It feels like house money. It feels like they struggle when they can't run the ball. And it feels like we're going to be able to stop the run. Oh, yeah. And this other thing that I've been pushing and I will continue to push this agenda. Watch CJ Stroud when it gets real cold out there. Watch how the ball flutters. He's not the same. So you and I belief is setting in. Oh, yeah. I I told I texted you a few weeks ago and I was already watching uh, Ohio State tape. And you're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm ready to go. And uh, that's what the bye week will do to you. Uh, but, you know, thoughts and prayers with CJ Stroud. I hope he's drinking his orange juice. I just I really hope he doesn't have another bout with the flu on November 26th. 
Yeah. Um, we were looking at the like farmer's almanac to see like, oh, could it snow there? It apparently just never snows in Columbus in November. And yeah, we shouldn't expect that. But if it does, oh, on that fateful day, if flurries should fall, I'm, I'm betting the house that we're winning that game because it'll clearly be a sign from God. Yeah, and even if it's just like, if it gets super cold, I'm going to feel so good about it because the ball gets harder to catch and it gets easier to run. Let's go, baby. Uh, Let's take a quick sponsor break. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. This holiday season, I'll be giving thanks to Manscaped. And the reason I need to give thanks is for the confidence that they've given me with their new Platinum Package. We're talking about irrational confidence. The Performance Package 4.0 gives you the confidence to stand up and declare sometime in between the candied yams and the mashed potatoes and gravy and declare to your in-laws that you've never had a better shape to your bush. You've never had a more aerodynamic situation in your nether regions. It's a logical confidence, and that's what Manscaped can offer to you. Trim your pumpkins by going to manscaped.com and use the code MNB20 for free shipping and 20% off at checkout. For the sake of your confidence, for the sake of your comfort, for the sake of decency among men, You need to be giving your private parts the attention they deserve. And that's why Manscaped would like to present the Platinum Package 4.0. With this glorious package, you can align your entire hygiene routine all in one swoop. Inside the 10-part Platinum Package, everything you know and love about Performance Package, plus some shower goodies that will elevate your grooming game. Got the Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer, Weed Whacker Nose, Ear Hair Trimmer, Proprietary Advanced Skin Safe Technology, Protect Your Delicate Parts, Waterproof so you can keep scaping even when the weather's changing. In addition to shaving, you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with the Ultra Premium Body Wash, 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner. But we couldn't save a signature... Get the Platinum Package this fall. These products are guaranteed to be hits for your dangly bits. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code MNB20. Manscaped, clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunks. Time to shine, boys. All right, coming back, we've got Rutgers at Piscataway this weekend at night for some reason in New Jersey. I don't know why that's the case. Do you think they're this is going to draw people out of their hovels to come to a Rutgers game on a Saturday night in New Jersey? <laughs> These people have cough syrup to drink, sir. But for whatever reason, that's what we're doing, and I've got to wait all day once again to consume my Michigan football. Uh, coming off the mid-bowl, though, Rutgers versus Minnesota, which we should probably take a second on because you and I made like a little bet. I forget what it was. I think it was just the beer but uh for whatever reason we got into a, a hearty debate about who would be a better team this year minnesota or, and Rutgers, and they played last weekend minnesota came out triumphant so i think you owe me a beer <laughs> yeah i think i do uh Rutgers uh lost 31 nothing they were outrushed 253 to 48 but it was a, such a weird game because it was a very grind them out type of game. It was only 14 nothing entering the fourth quarter until Minnesota pulled away. And that's just kind of been the story with Rutgers this season. Really good on defense, completely inept on offense, sort of like the Iowa of the Big Ten East. Greg Schiano has cracked whatever code it was. It was sitting on a blackboard in the, the halls of Harvard for years. Um, how do you win at Rutgers? And this is as good as it can get. 
He, you know, sitting at four and four with a good defense. This is apparently how you win at Rutgers. Shiano is the guy for the job and he makes him respectable. We were talking off air about how we just low key respect this guy and Pat Fitzgerald for doing a pretty serviceable job at a very difficult place to win. Rutgers is that. And you mentioned their defense, which is it's more than respectable. It's really good. It's hard to imagine what they would be with an offense, but sitting at, you know, around 500 right now, bowl game still very much in possibility. This is going to be a game where they get up for it. I imagine Rutgers gets up. And if you look back at last year, when they came to our house, they made it uncomfortable for us. Yeah. Last season, it was Michigan's worst offensive game in terms of total yards with 275 Yards per play at 5.1. First downs earned with 12. I mean, Rutgers shut down the offense, only allowing Michigan with Hassan Haskins, a healthy quorum, Donovan Edwards to rush for 112 yards. And Michigan only had one completed pass in the second half. The second half drive for the Wolverines were four three and outs, a missed field goal, and then kneel downs at the end of the game. The Michigan had to force a turnover on downs and a late fumble to hold on to victory in the big house last year. Remember when we were doing the rewatches in the off season and coming in, we're like, yeah, even if it's Cade that wins, we're in great shape. And we were a little more pro Cade. We start doing the rewatch and we get to like the Rutgers and the Nebraska games. And I remember the texts back and forth were almost identical. And they were just like, our ceiling is so apparent. With Cade McNamara, the Rutgers game really, really exacerbated that. It showed just how limited we were. We could not move the ball against them. That's not all on Cade McNamara. Definitely not saying this is a Cade thing, but we were very limited and it wasn't a great Josh Gaddis game and nobody could like nobody could really make a play. We seemed to be just like a little maybe looking ahead in that game, too. They didn't seem as focused as they had been. The focus level of this team not concerned with and then the playmaking ability of jj mccarthy and the ability to complete more than one pass in the second half much higher than last year so i don't foresee a lot of those issues um do you think the at night thing makes any difference here Uh, i mean not really it's rutgers i mean we were there at night in 2020 with no fans at night in 2016 for the uh live crucifixion of 78 to nothing Uh, I think it's just good for their players to get up, maybe give their offense a little juice early on, run some trick plays, some tendency breakers, but I really don't think it's going to be significant at the end of this. I don't think it makes that much of a difference either. I don't think that it's loud enough there and Michigan's already gone and played at Kinnick. So this doesn't present nearly that kind of challenge. You could say look ahead, but you're looking ahead to Nebraska. There'd be no reason for that. So they should be firmly locked into this game. So I don't see look ahead. I don't see environment playing too much of a problem. What could you see presenting a problem for Michigan in this game? How, how does Rutgers make this thing challenging? I feel like they, they need to take this thing down in the mud. So Rutgers offense, uh, in a word, is horrible. They're <laughs> number 121 in total offense, 114 in scoring defense in the country. They've thrown the most interceptions of any Michigan opponent this year. They've already thrown 10. They have a freshman quarterback who uh, Noah Vedrill rotates in sometimes, but they're really phasing him out and building for the future. So I could see Michigan getting a little sloppy or careless on the back end, maybe gambling one or two times. And quickly, you you just see that Rutgers is, oh, wow, they they have 10 points. It's 10 to 10 in the second quarter, or it's 14-14 at halftime. Just making those lackadaisical plays, because on offense, their tape is embarrassing. 
It happened. This is exactly what happened when they played Nebraska a few weeks ago. They immediately jumped out to 13 nothing. Nebraska came back to win 14 to 13. So I think Michigan will be able to recover. But I think it's those plays just taking advantage of Michigan's either just perceived arrogance in the lower quality of opponent or taking advantage of the distractions that they've been facing this week. It's been a very strange week for the team. So maybe they're a little less focused in film study or when they're breaking down the tape. So I think that's how they could gain an advantage in this one. That would be the one thing I'm looking at. And like, I really don't want to go back down that tunnel incident but you know if Jamon, <laughs> if Jamon Green can't play and everyone's like man how long is Jamon gonna be out for and everyone's really down like oh we should be up like yeah you could let Michigan State beat you after the fact if you let that situation like dictate your your personality on the field I don't see that happening I'm not concerned with that um <clears throat> excuse me I don't know if Jamon Green's gonna play though that's that is like a minor concern he was concussed after taking a helmet to the head uh, usually it takes more than a week. So I would think he probably isn't playing in this game. And then Jaden McBurrows, who would probably come in for him or Jalen Perry. I don't know who would come in next. Um, it's McBurrows, right? Had worked his way up the depth chart, hadn't he? Will Johnson. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, but Will Johnson's playing a ton as is. So, I mean, yeah, Will Johnson would come in as the starter, but who's going to take Will Johnson's minutes as the third guy then? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they'd kick Mikey out there or what they right. would do with it because you still have the three safeties that are pretty versatile. So right. I think they have some options. We have options and I'm not concerned with it, but I'm just trying to dig deep into something that could be like a problem moving forward. And, I, you know, it wouldn't really matter too much because they have the offensive passing attack of Iowa, which you said you're like, it might be worse than Iowa. That is not true, sir. They broke down the Ohio State game and they determined that Iowa probably would have covered the spread if they just punt on every single first down. And I was like, well, that's bad. <laughs> that is a bad offense. I don't think anything could take the cake for that. Rutgers is a close second. So even if Jamon Green is out, even if McBurrows is out, I'm just not concerned with them passing the ball down the field. I think Mike Morris is, is going to eat in this. Mozzie Smith's going to eat in this. There's no concern there. The concern would be we just get kind of weighted down offensively, I think. And we're just unable to get the run game going. And they're able to play some type of 17 to 13 game. I'm sure that's what they would love in this is some type of low scoring, tight defensive affair. Yeah, their their defense will challenge the Michigan offense. Uh, they'll really challenge them between the 20s. One of the few times this year Michigan has faced that. Shiano is a smart defensive coach who's going to make the Wolverines earn it methodically on the ground. But in the red zone, this is such a great opportunity for improvement. Michigan will get valuable reps against a soft unit despite uh, Rutgers being the number 12 total defense in the country. They are horrible in the red zone at number 130 at allowing touchdowns. So this could be a grinder of a game early. I mentioned the uh, the Minnesota numbers from last week. C.J. Stroud was 13 of 22 against this defense for 154, two touchdowns and a pick. So I think it could be that way. But if Michigan can get in the red zone, I think they could cap it off. And if Rutgers wants to test the box with eight and nine, like I think Shiano will do, I think this could be a nice test for J.J. McCarthy and these receivers to finally break out of their struggles with press man and deep and deep zones. You had something written in the doc about this being improvement week. I fully agree. And I it's something that every fan, it feels like a lazy take. We've been saying the last couple of weeks, like use this opportunity to get J.J. and the receivers going down the field. 
But if you're going to do it, it's got to be this week and next week. Like we're eight games into the season. This is game number nine. This is your last opportunity to get something going with any of these receivers. If you want to get Andrew Anthony going, you should probably start getting him the ball now. We're running out of opportunities. So anything that you want to add to your offense going down the stretch, anything that you want to try out, anything that you think can help you against Ohio State, any way that you can def- – like. I- I agree, though, with a lot of the fan takes. You should find a way to get the ball down the field in some way. Get a little bit more creative with that. This is the game to find that. And then the other point that you made that I really like is the red zone. You're going to get another chance to go against a good team in the red zone. Michigan State's not a good defense, but they're okay in the red zone. Pretty solid. And Rutgers is as well. So this is a great opportunity. Get some more runs in the red zone. Figure out ways to attack the defense when the field shortens like that. Exactly. And if Shiano wants to sit back there and play uh, deep cover two, then Blake Corm's going to run for six yards of carry. And we can, we've seen that play out every time this season. Hence why Corm's in the Kaiserman conversation. It is. And like, you know, at this point in the season, it's time to start talking about like closing the season and not like getting guys rest or getting going. Cause I mean, like we said, it's week nine now. So at this point, like, I don't even know if we do try to limit his workload. I think you just try to keep winning and push the Heisman agenda at this point. Don't you agree? Yeah, it's, it's winning games now. Like, they had a week off. They got a fr- they got freshened up for the final push in the season. But, yeah, right now you don't need to be saving anything. You need to be winning games. That matters above all else at all times, but especially right now when you're 8-0. Right. If we had like Furman or UT Martin or UC Chattanooga, like some of the SEC teams have this late in the year, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, Corum doesn't need to be in here for this. But against uh, Nebraska and against Rutgers, yeah, like, let's go. He hasn't even, has he even sat out? Has he even gone to the sideline for a drink of water? This guy's a machine. The kid is the Terminator, and we need to start pushing that nickname. And th- this stretch is so beautifully set up. Like, it's a return to dominance tour. It's it's Rutgers and Nebraska first, who are both teams that were closer to beating Michigan last year than Ohio State was. Mm-hmm. Then you get Illinois, a team that's on the rise, super well coached by the rib master himself, Brett Bielema. And then you get Ohio State, just a nice steady progression of teams getting better and all culminating in Columbus. Like, you could not have the schedule line up any better. Yeah, we need Illinois to keep winning, too. So low key, the only good thing that came out of this misery in the tunnel is that uh, Michigan State's missing their entire defense against Illinois. So Illinois should should go into that game with just the one loss. Man, if they would have found a way to beat Indiana, that might be enough if we were able to beat them. So it's uh, (laughs) yeah, man, it's uh, it's a fascinating year. I think we thought at this point that our schedule would be enough because we didn't expect so many of the Big Ten teams to be down. But you got to beat the teams on your schedule and Rutgers, while it's not going to really impress the voters. I think that if you lay it on them, um, you know, it's going to help the agenda, obviously. So do you think there's any chance for style points here? Does Michigan want style points? Do they care? Because I've talked to some people that think now with them dropping to five style points need to come into play here. I'm not a big style points person, but I do think they just need to be sharper. So I think if they continue what they did against Michigan State and just punch in those red zone opportunities, the style points will just generate themselves. But I don't think Michigan needs to be in a position of trying to run up the score or force the issue. But if they just play their style of football, they're going to look up in the fourth quarter and they're going to be up by 30 points and the style points will have already been there. 
You're a simple man. You're a man that likes chili and a beer. There's no need for style points for you. I'm not not a full style points guy, but it is going to help. Like it is unfortunately something that take into consideration. So um, let's get some predictions and players of the game, sir. Yeah, so I expect Rutgers to load the box early, uh, really just bring those safeties down, something we haven't seen a lot of teams do, and force McCarthy to beat them through the air. But I really believe McCarthy can establish himself as a viable threat. The defensive box will open up a little bit in the second quarter. Blake Corm is going to put this thing on his back like he always does and go crazy. Ohio State had immense success running the ball once they had the obvious threat of passing it in their game. So Corm's going to have it on his back. And then defensively, I think Michigan will be tested on the perimeters, on the edges. That's what Rutgers liked to do last year to really negate their disadvantage on the interior. They tried to work the perimeter. But good news for Michigan is Isaiah Pacheco's in the NFL. That's a great thing. They still have Aaron Crookshanks. He's a very good receiver. I expect DJ Turner to shadow him all over the place. Uh, their freshman quarterback, Gavin Wimsett, is uh, – improving but he's a freshman and he's going to make mistakes the majority of this team is super young so I think he is going to struggle and Michigan should really be able to just smother them defensively make getting to the 50 just almost impossible at times and I think what will separate this game though will be Michigan's defense so I think we'll get on the board with a pair of scores in this one and since I didn't get to talk about him earlier because I jumped ahead to next week my boy Rod Moore is going to be a player of a game going to continue rocking the turnover buffs adding to his team lead. He already has three picks. I think he gets another one to go up to four this week. And offensively, because it's like cheating to pick Blake Corum every week, I'm going to pick Oluwolu Atimi. I think the offensive line bounces back. I think he's very dominant on the inside. Uh, the offensive line has something to prove this week because they were dom- they didn't play that well against Michigan State, played horrible last year against Rutgers. So they have a statement to make. Michigan takes it 34-3. That was a lovely breakdown, sir. And I'm glad that you did all the legwork on Rutgers this week because I just didn't have it in me. I uh, I didn't do any rewatches <laughs> of any Rutgers games because I was like, I could watch that or I could rewatch Interstellar or I could re- or I could watch some World Series or I could watch uh, some Pistons basketball. So I chose otherwise. But you, sir, the content king, uh, you were on it. And I love that breakdown. But I do agree with you about how this game is going to unfold, in particular that Rutgers is going to do everything they can to take away the run in this game. That's clearly how teams play us. We've established our identity. Greg Schiano is a smart coach, like you mentioned, built his his reputation on the defensive side of the ball. So I think Blake Corum is going to be running into some heavy boxes early. You could see some play action. So I could see things like Schoonmaker and Ronnie Bell as well as things like J.J. McCarthy using his legs early on, um, similar to how we saw in the first half against Michigan State where they were stacking the box. We're like, that's fine. Luke Schoonmaker's just right there. So I can see a big Schoonie game. Um, he's got a ton of catches on the year, by the way, second leading receiver on the team and just having a monster year filling in for Eric Hall. So uh, I, I like him. I like him on the attack. And then once that starts to soften things up, you're absolutely right. Like, why go against anything other than Blake Corum just going off? Um, I do want to predict an Edwards game again here, and this feels like a good spot for an Edwards game. So I, I do want to give some, let's go Scooney and Edwards on offense, just because I'm trying to be different. And like you said, it's a cheat code to pick Blake Corum every time. 
And on the defensive side of the ball, they're just not going to be able to do too much. Even if Jamon Green's out, even if we have to shuffle things around, I love our secondary. Makari Page is coming on. He hits like a ton of bricks. Uh, I expect Mozzie Smith, Mike Morris, Chris Jenkins, those guys are going to control this game at the point of attack. Uh, I don't think that they're going to have a lot of time to throw the football. So I think scoring on this team is going to be a nightmare for Rutgers. Like, it's just going to be really hard to do. So I see it very similar to you, and that's not surprising. We've been pretty close in a lot of our predictions. So defensive player of the game, um, just to mix it up, uh, because Mozzie Smith and Mike Morris feel a little too too simple and, and too easy, low-hanging fruit. Let's go Chris Jenkins, who's really coming on as well. So I'll go Chris Jenkins and Makari Page, my two guys on defense, never getting off the page train. I've got it 31 to 7, man. Similar to you. I think the seven is in garbage time too. I don't think it's like a meaningful touchdown. I I love that. And one of the weirdest stats from last season, the only team to shut Michigan out for an entire half last year was Rutgers. Georgia didn't do it. Ohio State didn't do it. Michigan State didn't do it. It was Rutgers. The only half Michigan didn't score in was the second half against them last season. If anyone can find a way to slow down this rushing attack, it might be Shiano, man. Like I, I have more faith in him as a DC than I do at anything at Michigan State, anything at Ohio State right now. Um, what Illinois is doing is fascinating, and I'm starting to get really excited for that game. That is going to be an old school Big Ten game, but this could have that feeling as well. But one team is just way, way overpowering the other one in this one. Yeah, and one um, added motivation we didn't even discuss when talking about the college football playoff rankings is the disrespect game. Like, are, we're number five? Okay, well, we can channel all of this. We can be tunnel visioned on the Scarlet Knights, and we can just take out all the aggression in this one and really set the tone for the final three games. Believe me, um, we've changed our final score predictions before each of these games. So like what we're predicting in the pod is not what we're predicting to each other. So I'm going to I'm going to offset that because of what you just said there, because we need style points, because they're angry about the discussion, because Rutgers is in their way. I got it 42 to seven. I'm changing it. I'm changing it now. Let's go. You know how good a shutout would look right now? Like having back-to-back shutouts following the Minnesota one, just really boot-to-throat kind of statement? It's time. It's that time of the season, man. This is going to be a fun stretch, man. I can't wait to cover these games down the stretch with you. I can't wait to cover the Michigan-Ohio State, which we will watch together as the Lord intended. Whatever bowl game we end up going in, this uh, this is shaping up as an all-timer, like an absolute all-timer. I mean, you go last year to this year. These are the good times as a Michigan fan. I mean, you've got to go way back, way back. I mean, cats who are listening to this that are maybe above 50 probably remember some some really good back-to-back runs. But for the younger crowd listening, like this is as good as it's been for a lot of us. This is like as good as I can remember it as excited as I have been every weekend. Like I'm canceling a date to go watch Michigan play Rutgers on Saturday. So that's where I'm at in my life. As you should, I'm going to be double screening the Michigan and Penn state hockey game. This is just as good of a stretch in Michigan sports. We've had since the early nineties, late eighties when they're winning, I believe it was four or five consecutive big 10 championships in football. They're pounding the rock. Like, you said, all right, these are the good times. When you and I got out of the game, we saw some reactions to the performance, like people freaking out. And you and I are like, 
had a great time. We just dominated a rival by 22 points, and there's a lot to clean up. Like, imagine what's going to happen when they're have all, they're on their P's and Q's. All their T's and I's are crossed and dotted. Like, they're so the ceiling is so high for this team. They're still reaching it. It's such a fun team to root for. It's a good year. Yeah, man, these are the good times. I love that you're also crossing T's in that metaphor. That's great. I love it, man. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent with you, man. Shout out to everyone that made this week. Awesome. This weekend. Awesome. That'd be Brandon, Jim, Jim's dad, absolutely destroying it on the golf course. Uh, all of our friends over at maize and brew, those that we didn't get to see, would love to see you next time. That's going to do it for out of the blue. I'm Jared. That's Andy. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, you